Welcome to Socially Distant, Spiritually Close, a podcast dedicated to exploring the biggest spiritual questions of this complex and challenging moment. I'm your host, Rabbi Michael Knopf. Today is Shavuot, uh, which literally means weeks because it comes at the end of a a period of uh, counting days and, and weeks from Pesach. Uh, until this day, 49 uh, days have elapsed, and we are on the 50th day now, which is also why Shavuot is sometimes called an English Pentecost, because it is the uh, uh, 50th day. Um, and traditionally, Shavuot commemorates the day uh, in which the Jewish people received the Torah at Mount Sinai uh, after the exodus from Egypt. And so that's why we call it Zman Matan Torah Tenu, the season of uh, receiving the Torah. And uh, in a few moments, Aidan will chant for us the uh, passage from the book of Exodus uh, that uh, describes that uh, very scene and that very narrative and that very story. Uh, in English, you can uh, uh, find the, that passage uh, beginning in Exodus chapter 19. Let me just read a little bit, uh, beginning uh, at verse 18 of chapter 19 of Exodus. It says, Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke, for the Lord had come down upon it in fire. The smoke rose like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled violently. The blare of the horn grew louder and louder. As Moses spoke, God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. I'll skip ahead just a few verses to the beginning of chapter 20. As it continues, God spoke all these words, saying, I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods besides me. You should not make for yourself a sculptured image or any likeness of what is in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am an impassioned God, visiting the guilt of the parents upon the children, upon the third and fourth generations of those who reject me, but showing kindness to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not swear falsely by the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not clear one who swears falsely by his name. The text continues to give commandments regarding Shabbat, the Sabbath, Uh, honoring our parents, uh, prohibitions on murder, adultery, uh, theft, uh, bearing false witness, and coveting uh, what belongs to other people. Uh, This is uh, what uh, is often in English known as the Ten Commandments. Uh, uh, In Hebrew and Jewish tradition, we call them um, Aseret Adibrot, the Ten Utterances, uh, because uh, we don't want to give off the impression that uh, these are the most important or the totality of God's commandments. So these are the beginning of God's revelation of the Torah to uh, the Jewish people, but not the totality of it. So they are the 10 utterances. Um, if you want a fancy word for it uh, in English is the Decalogue. Uh, and we have a very special guest with us this morning to uh, discuss this powerful narrative and uh, these powerful ideas in, uh, in the Torah. My uh, very dear friend uh, and teacher, uh, Reverend Dr. Corey D.B. Walker, uh, now of Wake Forest University, uh, but 
still in Richmond. Uh, Reverend Walker, are you there? Yes, yes. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. I'm honored to be here and honored to take part in this service and to share with the community. Well, it's so great to have you, and thanks so much for coming. Uh, first, let's uh, before we dive into the text, um, tell me, how are you? How is your family? We're all well, uh, considering. Um, they're, you know, given all of the circumstances of our existence, uh, from COVID-19 to uh, the contemporary world, uh, last night we were up with um, a number of friends talking about uh, what's going on across our nation. Uh, so that has really uh, gathered our attention. Um, but we're in deep prayer for our nation and our world uh, to move forward. Um, so uh, I'm thankful to be with the service. And I joined you from the beginning um, just to be with the community of the faithful at this moment. It, it's inspiring and soul renewing. So thank you for that. Uh, well, well, thank you. And, and um Good to hear about uh, uh, your your family, but um, but but we know that these are um, really dark and challenging times. Um, and maybe that's a maybe that's a good place to start. You know, like the the uh, the, the text that we're reading, that we're studying today. The uh, theme of the holiday is revelation, right? Is is hearing God's voice um, and discerning God's presence. Um, uh, you know, hearing the the guiding, maybe even the commanding voice of God. Um, and so I, I, I'm wondering if you could take a moment to reflect on that, you know, uh, in, you know, in, uh, in, in then and now, um, what does that mean to you? What does that look like to you to, um, to, to, to hear God's voice, to, to experience God's revelation? And, you know, and especially in, in times of challenge and struggle, um, like the ones that we're in, um, where do we find God? Well, that, that's a, a great point. Um, the text today really reminds us that um, the journey to see God, the, the journey to understand and to discern God's voice doesn't occur in uh, those moments in which we like, those moments of extreme clarity where everything is going well. It's in those moments of radical doubt, those moments of, of challenge, those moments of, of where we're trying to figure out where to go and even how to discern uh, God's voice and how God is speaking becomes somewhat of a mystery. Uh, and what we, what we read in the text is really uh, a moment of mystery. God surrounds the entirety uh, of Moses on the mountain and you're trying to figure out where is this voice coming from? Is this the voice of God? How do we begin to know uh, that this is the authentic moment or this is the authentic voice and how do we respond as a community? And the journey in the text is about a journey to community. Um, it isn't just inaugurated at one particular moment, but it is how community is created and recreated, uh, how we continue to remember, how we continue to share uh, that memory anew in each generation, how we could translate and transmit the story. So community isn't fixed, community is wide open, community is something uh, that we have to constantly recreate and we have to constantly discern uh, that still quiet voice of God in those moments. Uh, and doing that requires us to inculcate and cultivate particular practices of community. And so when we have those moments such as right now, how do we 
discern the voice of God in all of uh, the chaos of this moment? Uh, how do we begin to uh, begin to think through, not only think through, but how do we practice community in moments of challenge? Uh, how do we move forward uh, in, in these moments where God's voice may not be discernible? Um, it is in the midst of creating and recreating community that we discern that voice. And uh, Rabbi, I'm, I'm often reminded, um, I was thinking, looking at the, the, um, the holiday uh, and the festival. Um, and on the second day, uh, the scroll of Ruth is read. And that is, you know, to, to transition from Exodus to Ruth, that is a story that really resonates, particularly with, uh, as an African-American Christian theologian. Um, we constantly are drawing from the Old Testament and from uh, Hebrew scriptures uh, because of the lessons that then we identify with uh, in our sojourn in the new world. Um, and we're fine in, in the book of Ruth, it's early on um, where Ruth uh, speaks to Naomi and Ruth says, your people will become my people, your God, my God. There's no test, there's no uh, entrance requirements, if you will. It is this radical acceptance uh, and this welcoming and this deep hospitality that really opens up community. And I'm reminded that even in those moments, that's what we hear, that still voice. It is a, a moment of hospitality, a moment of welcoming, and most importantly, a moment of deep humility that we then are allowed to hear that voice, uh, to hear God's voice, and that voice that enables us to continue to build and recreate community. Well, that, I mean, that, that's so powerful, and you're right. I mean, the, 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 uh, the inclusion of the Ruth story uh, in the holiday of, of Shavuot, the holiday of, of Revelation, I think is really telling um, as to what Jewish tradition thinks about, uh, thinks about what, what this holiday is and what it, what it means. And it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because the, um, the, the portion, you know, the uh, Jewish tradition divides up the, uh, the Torah into uh, what, what are called parshiot, um, uh, which are which don't usually don't necessarily align with particular chapters. Um, usually includes several chapters within a, a portion, and the portion um, in which we find the uh, the the um, the revelation at Sinai, um, the Ten Commandments, um, is known as uh, Parshat Yitro. So it's in, what's included in this is um, is uh, Moses's not Jewish father-in-law's inclusion into the community. Um, and teaching of the community as a precursor to revelation, right? So in the, the context of the revelation um, is, an, is an act of, uh, of, of inclusion and of acceptance and of community building, right? And that, uh, that Ruth is a parallel to that because it is also a, 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 a recognition that, uh, that revelation happens um, in, in the context of a, of, of a welcoming um, and inclusive community that, uh, that, that is um, open to an embracing of diversity. Um, it's also, I think, noteworthy that uh, that you know that in in Jewish tradition and the the Torah's description uh, of things, you know, the, this revelation is a national revelation, right? It's not just you know one person alone at a mountaintop in in the wilderness. Um, this is a moment in which all of the people, uh, uh, not only as individuals, 
bind themselves to the divine, but uh, but bind themselves as a nation to the divine and to each other. So there's a there's a an assumption of collective responsibility here and accountability here that I think is present in, in this text. It's a, it's a way in which, um, when you begin to think through this, it's a way in which sovereignty, uh, God's sovereignty manifests itself in our relationships to one another. That it is not the individual in relation uh, to the sovereign, but it is the ways in which we are related with one another. And it is that deep relationship that then exemplifies uh, the ways in which we understand or come to know or discern the voice of the sovereign, uh, to understand and really respond to the voice of God. It is with how it is in and through how we respond to the needs and responsibilities uh, of one another. And interesting that you point to the radical inclusive nature of it. It is the ways in which we have to open up and submit ourselves uh, to a mode of welcoming that which is wholly other. It is not submitting ourselves to a logic of the same. We have to then welcome folks in their otherness, not as much as they are amongst ourselves, but in uh, the ways in which they are simply uh, an other human being. And that otherness is not something outside of humanity. It actually deepens the process which we understand uh, humanity and the variety and density of that humanity. I'm reminded there were two books uh, after our conversation earlier this week uh, that I, I went to to went to uh, to refresh um, some thinking on this, and that was uh, John Levinson's um, Sinai and Zion. And uh, right on the bookshelf, and. Um, Dolores Williams, Sisters in the Wilderness. Um, and these two really, you know, these two texts really remind us how uh, the calling into the community is a process of formation and cultivating uh, particular ways in which we are, uh, we come into our understanding of the depth of our humanness in relation to the divine. So such that sovereignty become, it becomes an expression of how we understand ourselves in the midst of community and how we understand ourselves within the midst of broader, of broader communities that are inclusive uh, of, all of, of all of humanity uh, and of all of creation. So I'm, I'm reminded how we have to elevate that element of community creation, how we have to elevate uh, that element of relationships to the sovereign expressing itself in relations uh, uh, throughout the broader human community and how we begin to understand ourselves in relation to continuing and, and, and continuing and maintaining and transmitting those traditions and rituals and practices so that community is constantly renewed in each and every generation. You know, uh, there, there um, were a few thoughts going through my mind uh, as, as uh, you were sharing that, uh, you know, and, and one is that, you know, th this notion of, uh, of, of community, of, of inclusive community uh, is, is in, a, in a way, you know, uh, challenging, maybe even problematic or, or somewhat incomplete because 
it, it, it's sort of already premised on the notion that there is, uh, that there is you know, uh, a, a, an, an inside and an outside, right? And so like the, 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 the disposition of the inside ought to be based on you know, these, these values that we're learning about to um, include those on the outside, but it's not uh, necessarily uh, a vision of a society um, in which there is no such thing as inside and outside. And, and you know, that, that got me thinking about, you know, um, uh, what, we're, what we're seeing happening in our country right now, and, and, and in particular in, in Minnesota, where, you know, it's, it's sort of revealing um, uh, the, the ways in which, you know, we still, as, as a country, you know, have um, insiders and outsiders, right? That, it, that, that there are these moments where, where it feels like, you know, this is, this is a country, you know, of, by, and for uh, uh, white people. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, and African-Americans are still sort of, uh, you know, the, the, um, the, the outsiders, the, the excluded, uh, you know, you see that in the, you know, in, uh, I saw a few memes going through, uh, social media this week, you know, one was a picture of, um, George Taylor, um, underneath the knee of the, uh, police officer, uh, side by side with Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. Uh, during the national anthem and, and, you know, saying like, you don't realize that this taking a knee is because of that taking a knee. Um, and you're, uh, and, and people are up in arms about Colin Kaepernick, but not necessarily up in arms about uh, George Taylor. And simultaneously that the, that the protests uh, in Minnesota are met with, you know, national guards and riot police. Um, but, you know, when, uh, when, when armed white people storm the Capitol in Michigan, um, they're, you know, the, uh, there, there are no national guardsmen to be found to break up that fight. So, I wonder if you uh, can, like, from your perspective, like, how do we make sense of that? Well, it, it, Michael, I, I, I remember um, when we were walking in January. We were walking from the service um, for the King uh, Day service, and right. you and I were walking down the street. And the irony of it is, here's a Jewish rabbi and a black preacher. Um, and we're, everyone is sort of colonized downtown, all of these weapons. Um, and we were walking together, you and I, uh, to protect one another. Uh, and the question was, who would protect us? And it's that deep moment of vulnerability um, and that moment in which we have to then understand that the boundaries of community are not meant to be boundaries to keep folks out. Um, the boundaries are permeable. Um, too often, what we've realized now and what we realize in, in a, a deathly manner uh, throughout the United States is that uh, COVID-19 has revealed the chronic illness uh, of America and of, of the world. Uh, it is COVID-1492 and COVID-1619 that continues to plague our world. Um, and when we think of uh, this particular moment, we have to think within the long moment of a particular uh, idea of creating community where the boundaries of community are not meant to be permeable, are not meant, are, are, but instead are meant to be these walls of isolation, these walls of demarcation to bring, to mark us and them, to mark those who are friend and enemy. It is that either or logic that lies at the root of, of, our, um, man, of our contemporary manifestation 
uh, and COVID-19 has just exposed that deep root uh, of creating community on boundaries that are impermeable, boundaries that are meant to be uh, permanent, boundaries that are not meant for community as we see revealed uh, in sacred texts, but forms of community that are antithetical to creation, to human flourishing and to creative flourishing. Um, and they continue to manifest this uh, because we're, 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 attacking, uh, we're attacking symptoms of the problem, but not the root of the problem. And the root is we have a very impoverished notion of how we can exist together. We have a very impoverished notion of what it means to be human. We have an impoverished notion of how community calls us together, not as not in an exclusionary manner, but how community enables us, empowers us to begin a radical process of inclusion, a radical process of hospitality, and a radical process of welcoming not only those who are other, but also opening ourselves to dimensions of the otherness within us to understand and loosen new possibilities of our existence and new possibilities uh, for how we can live uh, anew in the world. That's a deep challenge. Um, and that's the challenge that we face in our nation and in our world today. Um, and it is a global challenge. Um, I have some conversations with colleagues in June uh, across the world, particularly what we're seeing in Brazil, uh, what we're seeing in Eastern Europe, um, what we're seeing in, uh, in the UK and in, in Ireland. Um, we're seeing rise of fascist movements, anti-Semitism, uh, deep modes of racial antagonism continuing to manifest themselves. Uh, how do we begin to model uh, new forms of community in this moment? This is such a deep moment uh, of, that's calling us to a new well of human uh, dignity, a, new, a deeper well of human responsibility. That's the challenge we have. Uh, and I'm so thankful for your friendship, for the gift of, of your friendship, uh, so that we can begin to model uh, a way of belonging in the world and a way of community in the world that may offer us um, some path into creating a new way of thinking and a new way of being and a new human existence. Um, likewise, there's a, there's, there's something, um, that strikes me then about, uh, about this narrative and about this text that we're looking at, because, um, it's also, you know, it's also the, the origin story for the Jewish concept of chosenness, right? So that, that, you know, that God, uh, you know, that God, you know, delivered this revelation to a particular community, to a particular group of people, to a particular nation, a particular time. And there are even legends uh, um, that, uh, that, that suggest, you know, God uh, asked the other nations of the world, do you want to receive the Torah? And they asked, you know, well, what's in it? And, and God said, you know, thou shalt not murder. And they said, well, you know, the murdering is the yeah, cornerstone yeah, yeah, of our yeah, society. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll pass. And the God goes to the next nation and says, uh, uh, will you take the Torah? The nation says, uh, what's in it? And they, and God says, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. Right. And they say, well, you know, we, we really, we're, we're adulterers here. That's just what we do. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll pass on it. And then God goes to all the nations and they all reject it in similar fashions, but goes to the Jewish people 
uh, and says, or to the to Israelites, and says, uh, uh, "Will you accept the Torah?" And they say, "Not seven ishma that will that will do it." And then you'll tell us what's what's in it, right? We're, we'll we'll accept it without precondition. Um, but I, but I wonder, like, if you can help us um, unpack that idea of of chosenness, like. Like, how would you think, or how would you encourage us as Jews to think about that idea of, of, of being chosen? How, as a Christian, do you relate to that idea of, you know, th- this covenanting of the, of, of the children of Israel in this scene? Um, how do we make sense of that today? Well, the same, this holiday uh, falls on 50th days uh, in the Christian calendar. Uh, we're coming out of the season uh, of Easter. Um, Last week, last Sunday for Christians was uh, Ascension Sunday, and this Sunday is the uh, Sunday of, of Pentecost, where uh, Christians uh, baptize this holiday, the, this Jewish holiday, into a Christian idiom uh, of, about the uh, Spirit of God speaking to all the nations. What we've done is we've created these particular, these uh, particularized stories. Uh, around and uh, around sovereign uh, revelation to then isolate and uh, almost encapsulate uh, the sovereign. But what the sovereign is doing is calling us into community, calling us into community in light of our contextual circumstances. Um, as an African American, how do we pick? How do I pick up uh, the Bible, the religion of the oppressor? Right. I mean, Christianity is not uh, one third of enslaved Africans coming to the U.S. were not Christian; they were Muslim, and we practice all types of religions. So the question becomes: How do you do that? Well, we do that in the sense uh, of what Dolores Williams challenges us uh, to. It's in the sense of openness, and that's how we begin to develop a biblical hermeneutic, both through um, out the Old Testament. Uh, Torah and the additional text, as well as the New Testament. You can't read it in an exclusionary manner, particularly from an African-American perspective. We have to read it as opening to community. Um, And this is the idea that really grounds uh, Martin Luther King's notion of beloved community. It is is the way in which we're called out uh, as people, called out as uh, uh, believers, in all of our different faith walks and all of our different faith journeys to begin to create community that is not exclusionary. Now, in, in the Christian text, what I call Christians towards so, uh, is this idea uh, on uh, Pentecost Sunday, the challenge will be not to begin to not read this as some high pneumatology or you know, high theology of the spirit, but how does it call us into um, radical mode of community whereby we can understand one another in and through our difference. Because that moment in Acts, Pentecost is about hearing and understanding each other in and through the different languages that each group is speaking. So how do we begin to understand and create community in and through difference? Not to eliminate it, not to erase it, not to disavow it, but to create community in the ways in which we, uh, in the ways in which God reveals God's self to us and not allow it to be an exclusionary mode of community, 
but to allow it to be uh, the very spirit of community, to allow it to be communitas. So that's one way in which the text, a particular hermeneutic of understanding of the text informed by African-American traditions of how do we begin to use this text in an openness to call us into a new way of being, not only those who are on the underside of the text, but also calling into account a new world for the text. So this is what we have to do. Uh, and, and, and that's what the tradition I come from uh, and what we've uh, attempted to do in that tradition, but also to move us beyond uh, just that static notion into something uh, more, something that we can't even imagine. And the idea of the love community is just a gesture to something that is beyond. So I, I love that. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought up uh, the idea of, of sovereignty and of um, the, the ways in which the, uh, the, 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 the Bible has been um, uh, read through the lens of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of, 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 um, of, slavery and, and of servitude and I, but I, and I wonder you know if because like you and I know that uh, that that this text is really modeled on um, you know ancient suzerain treaties right so if you had a, you had a conquering king came to your came to your uh, land and, and conquered you and you know and, and you know, gave you this treaty that basically looks exactly like this uh, this covenant um, so how do you decolonize a text like this right how do you how do you then like rethink of religion that is not um, a sort of like master servant dynamic that that holds up a master servant dynamic as a as a high ideal right where where you know we're we're servants who uh, who you know are who are duty bound to obey our master uh, God you know Judaism is is replete with that idea that that these are commandments right that we have six hundred thirteen commandments to to follow. Um, and that we are, you know, the uh, we, we just read a couple of weeks ago in Leviticus chapter twenty-five, right? Kili bnei Yisrael avadim, right? Because because uh, the children of Israel are my slaves, uh, right? They're no longer slaves to Pharaoh. Um, so you know, in that idea of uh, of of you know uh, of the Exodus from Egypt, it wasn't so much about liberation as it was about redemption, right? Where we we traded one master for another master. So so how do we how do we decolonize those texts? How do we think about our relationship to God and to each other outside of that context of, of servitude and slavery that, that has clearly led to um, so much religiously justified oppression? Well, that, that's a, a, a very a great question, simply because um, I'm part of a group of uh, religious scholars, and we are uh, from all across the nation. We're dealing with these root metaphors. Uh, of master-slave throughout uh, the uh, biblical text. And what we're trying to do is begin to think, what does a religion beyond the master-slave look like? That group metaphor. What does uh, the formation of particular religious subjects look like beyond uh, the master-slave moment? Um, if we are in the US, African-Americans, um, if we begin to think through uh, not a, a, our existence, not as that moment, but just with master slave, but as a moment with, within a broader creation. What does that arc look like? 
Now, that, the challenge becomes how do we then move away from uh, that deep root metaphor to a metaphor of creation that it encompasses so it doesn't eclipse or erase the realities that folks are trying to make sense out of. What this text reminds us of is folks are trying to make sense out of an existential situation. They're trying to discern, getting back to our beginning of conversation, they're trying to discern God's voice in the midst of an oppressive condition. How do we then, un, how do we then develop and promulgate an understanding where the existential condition, the condition of being enslaved, is not the ontological condition of human being and belonging in the world? That the ways in which we are called out of wrong relationships or relationships that then continue to manifest themselves in the denial and denigration of human variety and human dignity are not absolute relationships, but they're relationships that then we move away from to inaugurate those broader relationships that are revealed to us and God's calling us into community. And I noticed, um, I just saw Gary uh, Goldberg's comment about chosenness, not as insularity, but chosenness moving from particular to the universal. We want to sort of subvert that particular universal dyad. Um, and I'm remembering, this is my old philosophy classes, that um, either you can have a universe uh, of particulars um, or you have a bunch of universals, you still have still a segment of particulars. Instead, what we want to do is sort of deepen the infinite particularity of the human condition and human experience. How do we open ourselves up to that? How do we begin to then move away from the ontologizing of that master-slave relationship or that master-slave metaphor to a much more robust metaphor of calling us into community, calling the people of God into a new existence beyond the existence of master-slave, that those root metaphors are there to call us out to new relations. We haven't thematized those new relations, but just as uh, you articulated and what we see uh, in uh, Scroll of Ruth, we're seeing those new relationships litter the text, but they have not come to the forefront because we are colonized by that root metaphor, that root master-slave metaphor. What happens when we dispense of that metaphor to allow the ideas of community to open up? so that then we see and experience the text, traditions, rituals, and expressions of community in ways that are new and generative of creating new forms of community. Once we, I think the challenge for the group of scholars that I'm a part of, uh, I think our challenge is to um, understand the ways in which that master-slave root metaphor has facilitated a certain um, instance of community, but it does not exhaust the possibilities of community 
and there are distinct limits to deploying that. How do we begin to, how do we begin to challenge folks, communities, religious communities otherwise? I mean, coming as a Christian, I can't take, um, uh, I'm, I'm coming from an African-American tradition, there are texts in the New Testament that we cannot read, that I don't read. We can't think of being a slave as being good, even being a slave to God, particularly where slavery in uh, the times in which New Testament texts are written, Rome is a slave society. It is an empire. So we have to understand that these texts work to support empire and regimes of slavery. But there, is a re there, there are elements within it that move against that. How do we uh, begin to raise and elevate those so that communities don't mirror empire, they mirror communities of radical inclusivity and communities of caring and communities where we're all allowed uh, to uh, live to our fullest potential. A community where a Jewish rabbi and a black Baptist preacher can walk down the street and not have to worry about who's going to protect us. Amen. Uh, the, I mean, there's, the, there, there's so much richness uh, and, and, and power in, in what you just shared. Um, I think that we're, we're going to need to uh, uh, replay the tape uh, and, uh, and, and turn it over and over uh, to, to, to uh, immerse in it. Um, we are uh, uh, getting, uh, uh, getting a little short on time. So uh, I, I just want to conclude with, with maybe a slightly lighter question uh, for you, which is, okay, we got these Ten Commandments. Um, Give us, give us your favorite and your least favorite. <laughs> Let me offer this. <laughs> I don't, I, I can't, re I can't respond to that. So I, I guess I'll <laughs> respond this way. I'll respond with, um, in absence of the, my most favorite and least favorite commandment, um, maybe I'll leave with the commandment um, to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That greatest commandment around love. Amen. Uh, so important. Uh, in general, but but especially right now, and you know, as uh, you mentioned before, you know, I, I'm, that's going to stick with me thinking about you know COVID fourteen ninety two and COVID sixteen nineteen, uh, and and recognizing that you know that that uh, these these painful and and challenging experiences are themselves revelatory, and that is kind of at the heart of of this text as well, and uh, and and highlight the the power and importance. Of, uh, of, of a commandment like the commandment to love one another uh, and to love God. And I'll just elevate from here, you know, that, uh, that the Jewish tradition sees the first commandment um, uh, as being that statement, I, the Lord, am your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage, right? That that in itself is a commandment, that there's, that, uh, that, the, the, that the commanding voice of God is um, to, be, uh, to, to be in the business of liberation. 
um, and that, uh, that, that what it means to be in community, what it means to be in relationship with the divine um, is, to, uh, is to join in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in God's uh, liberating power. Um, and to and to be partners with God in, in God's liberating power. Um, so, uh, Reverend Dr. Corey Walker, thank you so so much for uh, being with us this morning and uh, helping us study and and uh, and think through uh, the uh, the Inyana de Yoma, the issue of the day and the text of the day. Um, you've really um, elevated uh, our our holiday and uh, have uh, uh, enlightened us and uh, made Revelation so much more. Uh, present for us uh, on on this uh, day of, um, of of receiving Torah. So thank you so much for being with us. This has been socially distant, spiritually close with Rabbi Michael Knopf. I hope that this episode has helped you find a little faith and hope, enrichment and uplift during this complex and challenging time. If you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode. Please also rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice so that others will have an easier time finding us and joining in the conversation. Socially Distant, Spiritually Close is recorded during virtual gatherings of my congregation, Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia. Socially Distant, Spiritually Close is produced by Dr. Gillian Frank. Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost. Our cover art was designed by Judith Russian using a photograph by Miriam Aniel. I have been your host, Rabbi Michael Knopf. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.